RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Crush Performance. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. So glad you could join us today as we kick off episode number three of the crush brain game hey if you want to reach out to us do so crushperformance.com is the website you could follow me on twitter at jeff crush and on instagram youtube facebook just search out crush performance and we will be there for you info at crush performance is our email any questions comments smart remarks get them to us or if you have a topic or something you'd like us to investigate hey let us know we've dedicated segments even entire episodes to your ideas so do reach out we answer every single message that we get other than the spam we do not respond to spam so if you're a spammer listening out there leave us out of that because it just goes into the junk mail but if you write to us we will respond and i tell you what if we don't know the answer to your question or if we can't help you out i, I can pretty much guarantee that in our network of just people that we've met over the years we know somebody who has the answer and we'll get it so uh, do connect, and we love those messages for sure. We're actually going to get to some of them today, as promised. If you listened to the episode last week, episode number two of the Crush Brain Game with Dr. Eric Pepper from San Francisco State University, um, we ran out of time. Uh, we were going to address some of the really good uh, messages, questions, and comments that have come into the Crush Mailbag here recently. We're going to get to those today for sure, but... For those of you who might be just joining in on the Crush Brain Game for the first time, we are now entering today, episode number three. The series is a special look at the role of the brain in human performance. Uh, there's much more to come. It might be two more episodes. It might be five episodes. We've got a lot of people we want to talk to and a lot of information to cover. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to establish the brain and whether the brain should be one of those locked in stone foundational priorities that we address before we start attacking the areas of performance in sport. So in our programs, for everybody who's listening to the show, well, hey, welcome back, first of all. Uh, but for everybody that's new, we have four major foundational priorities, four things that we feel strongly must be addressed first and foremost before we even talk about catching, running, skating, team play, technical, tactical work. Before we even think about, you know, the strength and conditioning and athlete development for sports-specific performance. Four things that have to be in order if we're truly going to help our athletes have a good shot at their potential. And they are simply like this. First and foremost, sleep. Sleep, rest, and recovery are the top priorities. Every program should be organized and built around those three factors. Then number two, nutrition and hydration. It's a close second, but most certainly second. And then in sport... Um, posture and range of motion are so critically important for reducing injury, but also helping our athletes maximize their daily development and their overall in-game performance. Just absolutely critical for injury prevention and also for maximizing performance. You have to be functioning properly. And then of course, number four is movement. We need to teach our athletes to become great movers. Now understand all of these four things 
are the foundations that we have to build the entire athlete on. Once those are addressed in order, or at least part of the plan, then we could start attacking sports-specific training, the technical, tactical work with our coaches. But listen, every single coach out there is probably somewhat limited in how much they're able to help their players by the player's athletic abilities. I hope that makes sense to everybody. I hope I hope I'm, I said that right. Most coaches are limited in their ability to help their players perform and improve by the athletic limitations of those athletes. If those athletes aren't ready to go, if they're not coachable, if they're injury prone, all those things that come into play, um, the coach is going to have a hard time helping them aspire to their true potential. And here's the other side. If we do the wrong things at the wrong time in terms of the long game of human development, if we do strength too hard too soon, if we don't establish our cardiovascular or our flexibility at the right times, if we spend too much time competing and not enough time learning the skills, if these balances are off, we lower the ceiling of potential. And what's happening right now in sport, for the most part, from my personal experience, in my opinion, is we spend too much time competing and not enough time teaching and learning the skills that are truly going to help us raise our potential. And, and I get it. I get it. You know, it's the, it goes back to the conversation of specialization, for example, right? Um, uh, with the greatest of intentions, we're specializing our athletes early in a particular sport so they can have an advantage. Just imagine if an athlete spends all of their time playing hockey or basketball, volleyball, tennis, baseball, football, whatever it might be. They go all in year round. Well, it's a dangerous game to play. And we know that for immediate gains, that might be great. It might be great in the short term, but in the long term, it's devastating. It's a crapshoot for one. There's only very few athletes that survive early specialization to the higher levels of sport. So when we have an athlete enter a program or when we address a team or an organization, depending on the level of player, the age of the player, um, we're very conscious of what those athletes are going to be able to do when they're in their late teens and early 20s. We may take a step back in the short term to raise the ceiling in the long term. We may sacrifice competitive skills and practice time with the team to develop the athletic abilities and the athletic foundation that's going to allow them to truly succeed down the line. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do in the world of sport. Take a step back. There's been some great examples, even at the professional level. All right. And at the professional level, well, it starts to wash out a little bit because everybody has incredible skills. Everybody's incredibly talented and there's an unbelievable skill set. And if you don't have that athletic ability or that skill set in place, it's going to be very, very hard to compete there. All right. But at the higher levels of sport, the conversation that we are getting into more and more is the conversation of the brain game. High performance sport is 90% mental, 90% mental. The majority of it's just mental. The physical side's not a problem. Well, it's true, honestly. Listen, given time and effort, we're at a biological ceiling. And for our uh, 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 return dedicated crush listeners, you guys know what I'm talking about. We mention it on this show all the time for the last decade. We're at a biological ceiling, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the physical side of human development. We truly are. 
when it comes to strength, speed, power, we know about this stuff. When it comes to connective tissue and the nervous system, we've really got a good understanding. When it comes to technical, tactical work, skill development, or talent development, we know this stuff. Given time and effort from our athletes, we will find out how good they can become. We'll find out what their potential is, right? The one area that's just sort of been elusive to us is the topic of this incredibly important series we're embarking on here in episode number three here today is looking at the brain. I really honestly do believe that the brain and the technology that's now allowing us to train and work with the brain real time, that holds the keys to pushing human performance forward in the future. Now, listen, if you don't have that other stuff in order, those four pillars, those four foundational pillars, sleep, rest, recovery, nutrition, hydration, posture, range of motion, movement, and then technical tactical work, the long-term development strategies, physical literacy, all right? If those aren't in order, well, you don't have a shot. I mean, your athletes just cannot reach their potential. And there's so many factors involved here. But the one area that really, really holds true major promise for pushing human performance forward, and I am talking in the big picture, what we're watching on TV in terms of the NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, MLB playoffs, what we're seeing in, in professional soccer, um, um, in the NFL, our college sports are underway. Uh, those are all very talented, great athletes who have come through a pretty just okay system. Just okay. But I think what we're going to see here in the next few decades, and it's starting right now, we're on the front edge of this whole new turnaround is we're going to see a massive push in human performance because again, we understand the physical side. We understand skill and talent. We got this. I mean, there's still a few things to learn. Don't get me wrong, but, but we're really ahead of that stuff. We're on it and we know it very well, but the brain, Oh my goodness. So again, uh, the crush brain game series, you know, one of our, one of our main I guess tasks here is defining the brain. How do you define the brain? I mean, listen, it's <laughs> it's a big picture item. The brain is like mission control for everything we do. So when we go to the dictionary and we look at the definition of the brain, which is the first thing we did when we started putting together this series, here is a medical definition of the brain as a noun. The portion of the vertebrate central nervous system enclosed in the skull and continuous with the spinal cord through the frame and magnum that is composed of neurons and supporting nutritive structures and that integrates sensory information from inside and outside the body in controlling autonomic function, in coordinating and directing correlated motor responses and in the process of learning. Okay, very complicated. That's the medical definition of the brain. It's all encompassing. Basically, it says the brain is responsible for basically running the show. But here's one that I like uh, even more. This is from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Lying in its bony shell and washed in protective fluid, the brain is the source of all qualities that define our humanity. The brain is the crown jewel of the human body. Okay, now there's something that we can dig into. The crown jewel of the human body, there's no question about it. The brain is one of the most complex organisms in this known universe. You know, it's deep stuff, but think about it. 
if we're going to define the brain in terms of human performance, it truly is mission control for everything we do. You know, when I talk to my athletes, sometimes we'll try to explain it like this and it gets mixed reviews. I'll tell them that the body's just a tool that the brain uses to get things done. And it does get mixed reviews. I mean, think about it. It's a kind of a perverse way to think about the body brain relationship. They're connected for sure, but literally the body does the brain's bidding. And, you know, if you go back to the old quote and saying from Abraham Lincoln, if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening the ax. Well, we're spending the first 5.95 hours sharpening the ax. We overcompete, we undertrain, we specialize too early. And this is kind of how we've operated up until now. Technical work, compete, train. It's easy. But now there's technology and understanding that's allowing us to train and influence certain parts of the brain in real time. And this has never happened before in human history. And that's what this series is all about. Are we on the cusp of one of the most exciting times in human performance? Again, the physical side, we have it down. Technology in the brain are really going to be the next frontiers in pushing human performance forward. Those together open the new doors in a new era of human performance. And that's what the series is all about. In episode number one, crush favorite Dr. Martin Morazic, uh, clinical neuropsychologist and professor at the U of A. Dr. Morazic has been a key influencer on how we talk about the brain and how we are now looking at our understanding of the brain. He's been on the show for years. And of course, his uh, expertise is brain performance, the mental side of the brain, but also concussion and brain health. He is doing some groundbreaking work in those areas, and he's one of the world leaders there. Uh, last week, we had Dr. Eric Pepper, professor of holistic health at San Francisco State University. He's an international expert on biofeedback and applied psychophysiology. We had a fantastic discussion with Dr. Pepper, and frankly, I just really wanted to say Dr. Pepper. He's a pepper. She's a pepper. You're a pepper, too. <laughs> Boo. I get it. Boo. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, yeah, Dr. Pepper was fantastic. Very practical stuff and a lot of great things to learn there. Today gets set for episode three as we talk with Dr. Ina Kazan, clinical psychologist and a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. She's also a renowned expert in the field of biofeedback and mindfulness. The brain is one of the most complex organisms in our known universe. And yet such a simple principle like mindfulness is so powerful in helping us get control and maintain control of our mission control, the brain. We're going to talk to Dr. Kazan today about mindfulness. We're going to get a better understanding of what it is, but maybe most importantly, we're going to talk about ways you can use mindfulness right now to help you perform better, to help you sleep better, to help you just feel better. That's how powerful this stuff is. And we're going to get into what biofeedback really is, especially when it comes to mindfulness and controlling ourselves in terms of human performance. And we're going to get a cool sports spin on that. So that's coming up in today's episode. Listen, before we cut out for a break and before we get to Dr. Kazan, I wanted to, as promised, get to the crush mailbag. There has been a number of really, really great questions, smart remarks and, and inquiries that have come into the mailbag. And I wanted to address them because first off, they're great questions. And we had the same question come up more than once. So here's one that came in from Matt. It says, Crusher, love the kids of COVID shows. I'm totally into your brain game series. How is it possible you did not think the brain was a top priority in performance? Well, Matt, great question. It's not that we didn't think the brain wasn't important. We just didn't classify it as one of those top foundation priorities like sleep, 
rest recovery, nutrition, hydration, posture, range of motion, and then movement. We kind of had the brain classified as one of the priorities after those top four have been taken care of, much like our technical tactical work. You know, certain parts of your game, your hitting, your pitching, your goaltending, your running, your kicking, your shooting, whatever it might be. Those are things that can be addressed after those four top priorities are in place. But what we're quickly learning here, especially over the last couple of years, and we've always thought about this, but when we looked at the athletes that we've worked with over the years, the thousands and thousands of top performers from virtually all different sports, men and women, boys and girls, developmental levels, right up to our pros, some of them really did need to utilize the mental side of sport performance. And it was typically in the form of sports psychology, right? But when the technology started rolling out here a while ago, but really started catching mainstream, the tools that we're using for vision training, helping us focus, but now even more so, the tools that are allowing us to control, understand, and train our brain real time to help us calm ourselves, to help us lower our heart rates, to help us change the temperature of our skin. What? When this started happening... All right, we started rethinking brain performance. But then there was a critical crush turning point. And Dr. Morazic was a big, big part of this when he sponsored the visit of Dr. Urban Johnson from Sweden to come over and discuss his research into brain and brain performance, but more importantly, how to help athletes manage themselves better. It was the talk about coping strategies and hassle scores. And the fact that we could attack this before we even entered the sporting arena. Of course, it makes so much sense in hindsight. Everything does, right? But that was a turning point. That's a few years ago now. But that's when we really started diving into and readjusting our definition of what the mental game of sport was. And then, of course, um, I had the honor of speaking to all of Major League Baseball at the winter meetings in Las Vegas uh, a year ago. And they asked me to come in and just speak to everybody about recovery, regeneration, and how important it was for injury prevention. And that was a, a huge honor because that's a very rare opportunity to get in and talk to an entire sport. Um, so that was fantastic. But one of the things that came out of that was one of the sessions that I sat in on prior to my talk, they were talking about the top 10 reasons for injuries in the sport of baseball. And they're counting them down and they're kind of things you would think about. But then they got to number five. And they go, okay, and the number five reason for injuries in sport, in the sport of baseball, at the professional level, minor league and major league baseball is anxiety. Boom, stopped in my tracks. I had to stop, pause. I looked at the guy sitting to the right of me, to the left of me. I looked at the guy sitting in, I'm going, what, anxiety? How is it possible we're not addressing this before we get into the training of our athletes? It was just, boy, it was one of those epiphanies where you just stop and rethink things. And so, uh, Matt, this is what this series is all about. We're rethinking it now, man. We know things we didn't know 10 years ago. We know things we know now that we didn't know three years ago. And so when that happens, we have to adjust. So this whole series right now isn't about, you know, whether the brain's important or not. We, we know it's important. And as we get through those major priorities, um, we start addressing the individual needs of the athlete. Now, some athletes don't need this stuff. Some of them just operate, you know, at a very high level without it. But there's things that we can do for every athlete to help get the house in order.
get mission control, firing on all cylinders? So great question. And it is a great question. How is it possible we didn't think the brain was a top priority? Well, it is a top priority for certain athletes for sure. But now we know things and we have technology and we can do things with the brain, mapping the brain, training the brain real time that we couldn't do, do before. And so does this new technology, does our new ability to train and understand the brain, our new knowledge of the brain, move it into one of those top priorities? I think so. We're going to find out. And at the end of this series, we're going to make that call together, collectively, all of us. All right. Great question. Thanks for that, Matt. And this in from Super Dad Donnie says, Crush, I have a 14-year-old going to a high school sport academy. We're being told he needs to get stronger and they want to start focusing on the weight room. Now, I've heard you talk about this and wanted to get your thoughts. Well, again, man, oh man, this is a great question. And we get this one quite often, believe it or not. When should we start strength training? Well, listen, you can start educating and learning about the weight room early on. And the sooner you do, probably the better. Um, but to train for pure strength as a 14-year-old, Boy, oh boy, I tell you what, that's that's one of those dangerous games to play. Now, Donnie, hey, without knowing your son and where he's at in terms of his growth cycle, his peak height velocity curve and his development, um, I'm going to say I would definitely look into this a little bit further because here's what we do know. There are windows for developing pure strength. And in the long game of athlete development, that has to be done properly. It's one of the biggest mistakes we see in athlete development because the weight room is one of the most dangerous places in the entire system. It's one of the most dangerous places in the athlete development system because it literally changes the body. And some of those changes that we make are irreversible. And if you make the wrong changes at the wrong time in relationship to the age and the development of your young athlete, you could really, really be lowering their ceiling of development. Again, we get caught up in these short-term gains. Do the short-term gains help raise the ceiling when that 14-year-old is 19, 20, 21? That's the question that I would have. Most 14-year-olds don't need to be hardcore in the weight room. We could start introducing posture work and maybe some bodyweight exercises uh, that will help offset some of the one-sidedness and some of the uh, uh, repetitive stresses that we see in sport. For sure, there's no question. And it's a great time to start educating them on the dangers and the ins and outs of being in the weight room. So I would say uh, from that regard, it would be a smart time to start educating, but to go hardcore into strength and get stronger, it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see across the board. Scouts and coaches saying, hey, you get a little stronger, you're going to be okay. You know? And if they haven't gone through those four top priorities, if they're not great movers, as simple as this, if they're not really accomplished movers yet, let's say they haven't gone through their growth spurt. If they haven't gone through their growth spurt and we're hammering it away in the weight room, what a potential disaster this is, ladies and gentlemen. And we see it all the time. Get with a registered strength coach, somebody who's certified by the NSCA, CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Get with somebody who knows what they're doing. Somebody with a degree in sports science who is CSCS certified. That would be my recommendation. And Donnie, hey, listen, we'll write you back. We're, we'll connect uh, a one-on-one -on -one here because that's an incredibly important question. And the problem with a lot of those sporting academies is they have the greatest intentions, but they don't always pay heed to the individual needs of the athlete. So uh, Donnie, thanks for that question because that's one that we get all the time. And it's also one of the biggest issues that we see in developmental sports. So a great one. 
Okay, here's the last one uh, from Lucy before we cut to a break and get to Dr. Kazan. It says from Lucy, uh, she's coaching high school and college basketball. Jeff, your talk about the COVID technical benefits sounds interesting. Not sure I totally agree, or maybe I misunderstand where you're coming from on this topic. Okay, Lucy, great question. And for those of you that, that didn't hear our um, Kids of COVID special, it's a two-part series looking at the impact uh, COVID is having on our youth, primarily high school and college university seniors and our developing athletes. Well, talking to Dr. Eric Holt, um, he brought up a very interesting perspective on this whole entire COVID shutdown, especially early on when, when everything was shut down, developmental sport, band, extracurricular activities, uh, drama, everything was shut down. Boy, oh boy, how hard is that on our kids? They're losing their identities. It's hard enough to be a kid to begin with. Now you're taking away the things that make them unique, special, and the things they're actually interested in? Well, it was tough. But Dr. Holt brought up the idea that, you know, on the other side of this, especially inside of sport, there might be some hidden benefits because we're over-competing, we're over-training, we're, over, uh, uh, we're specializing, playing year-round, we're not giving our athletes a break. If the organizations who are, you know, working away still, or if the kids who are not playing their sport are working on the technical side, working on the things that are going to make them better as a player and an athlete. On the other side of this COVID thing, we could see a massive spike in player performance. And he called it the COVID technical advantage. So that's what that was all about, Lucy. I hope you understand that, but I, I think it's absolutely true. So if you were to take your basketball players right now, instead of just shutting them down, okay, get them together, follow the guidelines, safety guidelines, get in your, your cohort and get your group together and start working on skills because you can't play. You're not playing games right now, either high school or collegiate. There's no inter-school games. Now, we're starting to see now, as things ease up a little bit and we're getting a little smarter, we're starting to see two or three schools teaming up as a cohort together. So only those three schools are playing each other, which is great. But imagine we take all of this downtime now. Instead of playing, 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 we take some time to address the athlete and make our athletes better so they can become more coachable players. And then we take those more coachable players and we really coach their technical, tactical side of the game. And then when this COVID thing is over, we unleash them back into the sporting world. Oh, that's the COVID technical advantage, the potential of it. So I hope that makes sense. I don't think there's a misunderstanding here or, or I hope that clears it up because I think that we're in for something special if, if, and only if we've handled this downtime properly. All right, those were the messages that I wanted to get to last week. I'm glad that we had time today, but we have got to rock and roll. I've been uh, uh, going on here, and we've got a really important conversation coming up as the Crush Brain Game continues right after this break. Dr. Ina Kazan, clinical psychologist, faculty member at Harvard Medical School. She's a renowned expert in the field of biofeedback and mindfulness. And we're going to discuss the quest to get control of our brains, emotions, anxiety, calmness, focus, and of course, performance. You do not want to miss this conversation. We'll be right back. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Kershell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at crushperformance is the email. Drop us a line. Reach out. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, I don't tweet a lot, but when I find something interesting or somebody sends something interesting, we'll share it for sure, and that's one of the places we do it. You can also find us on Instagram, 
Facebook and YouTube, search out Crush Performance and we're there. So glad you stuck around over the break because we are uh, moving on in our series, The Brain Game, episode number three. And today, a really, really important conversation. If you've listened to the series so far, there's a couple common themes that have come up uh, in our conversations and it was very intriguing to me. We know that the brain is one of the most complex organisms in our known universe. There's so much we don't know about it, but we're learning more and more. And despite the complicated nature of the brain, there's a few very simple principles that are allowing us to get control, harness, and increase the performance of not just our brains, but our performance in the physical world as well. Whether that's your job, whether you're a first responder, a policeman, or in the military, whether you're a long haul truck driver, whether you're in court as a lawyer or hammering down in tax season as a accountant. And most certainly for our athletes. And that concept I wanted to really dive into today is mindfulness. What exactly is mindfulness? How do we apply it in our daily lives? How do we use it to improve our performance? Well, nobody better than one of the world's experts. We are joined now by Dr. Ina Kazan, clinical psychologist, founder of the Boston Center for Health, Psychology, and Biofeedback. She is a world-renowned expert in biofeedback and mindfulness. She's also a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kazan, thank you so much for joining us here in our special series called The Crush Brain Game. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It's a pleasure. Well, I've been really excited about this conversation. We are uh, well into our series called The Brain Game as we work to justify the brain, which is a big, broad topic. It's all-encompassing, we're finding. Uh, but we, we try to you know, make our, our position uh, to establish the brain as one of the top foundation priorities for pushing human performance forward, Ina. You know, one of the things that, that we've focused on now is our is our top four priorities. Number one in our programming right now, just to give you a little reference point, um, we really look at sleep, rest, and recovery as our top priority. Everything we do inside of our programs is based around the quality sleep, the quality rest and recovery that we have, and we work that around our competitive schedules and our training. And then number two, nutrition, hydration. Number three, posture, range of motion just for function. And then for our athletes, number four, movement. And then our, our thinking up until recently was, you know, if those four things aren't addressed and, and constantly monitored, um, we're really going to have a hard time pushing potential forward. Um, and then comes in the conversation of, well, does the brain impact and brain performance, the attitude, our personality, our moods influence all of that? So now the brain has entered the conversation, not as one of those things that we can attack after the foundations mm -hmm. are, are set, but maybe as a foundational priority. And uh, you're going to be a big, big part of the conversation today. I just wanted to maybe get your thoughts on, on our stance here and our quest to, to look deeply into the mind and where it sits in terms of human potential. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you're focusing on all the right things. You know, I personally cannot, uh, you know, um, overemphasize the importance of sleep with people. You know, so many high performers are, you know, spending so much time training and practicing their forgoing sleep, and there's just no way to get uh, to be really good at what you do without sleep. So I'm really happy to hear that you are emphasizing all those things. And um, the importance of the brain uh, is absolutely uh, fundamental, right? Even though we're thinking about, well, you know, you're really using your body um, for performance, uh, 
but you know the body gets all its messages from the brain uh, and you know if the brain is distracted with you know figuring out other stuff like you know if your brain is trying to um, you know shut off anxiety or if you you know if your brain is trying to you know predict how you know the the next competition is going to go at the time as you are actually performing you know in the moment then the energy of the brain is not available to uh, direct your body to perform at its best in that moment so absolutely paying attention to the mood paying attention attention to uh, ability to uh, handle difficult situations, ability to handle stress, ability to handle anxiety and fear, as, as well as, you know, difficult thoughts uh, is so fundamental because when we address those things in a helpful way, then uh, the brain resources are fully available to be uh, directed to what, is, to what is needed in the present moment, you know, towards directing the body to do its best. Oh, I, I really, Dr. Kazan, I really like that the energy of the mind is not available or it can be available depending how we're setting ourselves up. This is a really interesting aspect that we haven't thought about before because um, those distractions do really not just take our focus away from what we're doing, but but all of our energies as well. Because we know once that brain is engaged, it is a glutton for 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 biochemical energy for sure, but also in terms of maybe just our um, our focus and our ability to to do what we're supposed to do in the moment. That all falls apart if, if we're not maybe aligned. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely, yes. I mean, if you just think about what happens on a physiological level, your brain is one of the biggest consumers of glucose. Uh, and guess what happens, you know, when your brain is occupied with trying to do things like push away from anxiety or try to stop thinking certain things or not feel the way you're feeling, your brain is wasting its glucose stores, uh, which are then not available for anything else. And, you know, your body, your muscles, you know, need that glucose in order to perform at their best. So if the brain is wasting it uh, by attempting to do things that are not actually possible, then that you know very fundamental fuel is not available for um, you know other things um, you know including movement and focus um, and the ability to do your best. Well, we've got this whole concept now of of mindfulness. We're talking with Dr. Ina Kazan. She is a faculty member at the Harvard Medical School, founder of the Boston Center for Health Psychology and Biofeedback. You're also uh, internationally known as a pioneer in mindfulness-based biofeedback. And bio and neurofeedback are a big, big part of this discussion we're having now, uh, Dr. Kazan, when we talk about the brain and brain performance and, and brain training now. We're at such an exciting time in human development and human performance because we're now able to better understand uh, and even train the mind and our, and our athletes real time with real time feedback. This hasn't happened before. So my, my feeling is we're going to be pushing human performance to new levels and the focus is going to be the technology and the brain and the technology that's allowing us to monitor and help our athletes understand what's going on. And that's the bio and neurofeedback piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, it is amazing, you know, how much we can get from just being able to see what's going on. Is you know, we can do you know all sorts of training and practice, uh, but we aren't really sure. Well, what is this actually doing for me? What is actually happening? And sometimes it's uh, um, hard to notice improvement when we are um, doubtful as to whether you know all that work we're putting in is actually paying off. Um, but with biofeedback, with neurofeedback, we can see what is actually happening in in the moment. We can see the gains. We can see the changes. In real time.
time. You know, just as simple as, you know, if I've been doing my heart rate variability uh, training using, uh, using biofeedback, you know, I can see how my ability to self-regulate is improving right on the screen in front of me. And then it's much easier to notice those changes um, in, um, in everyday life and everyday, everyday performance. Well, and you mentioned something really important there, Dr. Kazan, everyday life. There, the implications here, of course, go well, well beyond sport. And for our athletes, one of the interesting things that I've seen is while we focus our efforts on helping them improve their performance in their sport, um, the, the, the overflow has gone into their everyday lives and their relationships and how they're dealing with stress and managing themselves so they can, again, come back and even become uh, better performers. And it's really interesting to look at your background. Of course, you know, you're working with the general public, but you've also spent time with the U.S. Navy SEAL Special Warfare Unit, uh, the U.S. Special Forces, also with um, uh, the Stuttgart Opera and the Ballet Company. There's applications here for everybody, isn't there? Uh, there absolutely is. Uh, you know, no matter what is your, you know, area of performance, whether it's sports or whether it's the arts or whether it's, you know, a courtroom or, you know, a really big meeting room, whatever, whatever it is, um, we have to have the ability to, uh, to do our best, uh, no matter, no matter what. And, you know, the point that you made, um, that, not only we have to focus not just on the professional performance itself. What happens in the rest of our lives uh, makes an incredibly big difference, right? You know, uh, imagine an athlete who is facing a really important competition, um, whereas you know uh, their relationship may be you know falling apart or there is tension you know with their partner at home. You know, how is that going to impact their performance uh, in the competition? We have to address the whole person. We have to address their uh, general context uh, of their life and help help them you know be at their best uh, in every one of their aspects in order to for them to be able to perform uh, yeah, at their the, best in any particular area yeah no and i agree and I, I, we've seen it i've seen this trickle over into the everyday lives and even the relationships of our athletes and how they deal with those relationships it's been fascinating to watch and dr Krizan, there's been a um a, a word that's that's popped up quite regularly here, and and it, it's a very important concept, I believe. Maybe we can uh, dive into it a little deeper because this is one of your areas of expertise. But the whole concept of mindfulness, we're hearing this more and more uh, just in the performance world, whether we're talking business, academics, music, arts, or certainly sport performance. Um, mindfulness is becoming a, a really popular um, term that's being used. And I just want to be sure that everybody is operating or thinking about mindfulness under the proper umbrella for you and on all of your work with mindfulness and biofeedback. Um, how would you describe mindfulness to our listeners, our parents, our coaches, and um, uh, the athletes who are listening here today? Um, absolutely. It's such a good point because, you know, mindfulness um, has become such a buzzword. It probably has about a thousand different definitions out there. Right. Um, and it's really important to be on the same page as to what it is that we're talking about. So my favorite definition of mindfulness is uh, pre-verbal awareness of the present moment with acceptance. So this means, you know, uh, being aware of what's happening in the moment itself before our brains kick into, kick into gear and start uh, judging or evaluating or or naming or labeling things, you know, just being aware of the experience itself so that we uh, then become uh, much more able to choose uh, the direction of our response to that present moment. Because if we allow the brain to go with that automatic labeling, uh, then our reaction might also be automatic and might take us off track, might take us uh, towards, uh, you know, doing things 
saying things that we didn't actually mean to do or say, right? You know, prior to competition, um, we uh, noticed the sensations of, you know, faster heartbeat and faster breathing and, you know, some agitation and, you know, maybe some sweating and maybe some butterflies in the stomach. Uh, if the automatic uh, uh, reaction is, this is anxiety, this is bad, I must get rid of it, um, then, you know, the person is automatically locked into the struggle with um, something that is not at all helpful to struggle with and it is going to impact their performance in a negative way. Um, if, on the other hand, um, we're able to step back and recognize, all right, you know, what I'm experiencing is um, rapid heartbeat and faster breathing and, you know, some sweatiness and some butterflies in my stomach, uh, which are all indications that my uh, body is kicking into gear uh, and getting ready to perform and getting ready to help me do my best, then, you know, the uh, response is entirely different. You know, we're not struggling with something that your body is doing that's actually quite helpful. Uh, and then we're able to use that, you know, a natural uh, inclination of the body to activate in the best possible way to help us. Ah, it's a fascinating two, two-way street, isn't it? The mind-body connection. We had a we had a really, really fascinating conversation last week with Dr. Eric Pepper from San Francisco State University. And our conversation uh, quickly drifted into the area of posture, but also the mind-body connection and how that two-way street really operates and how the body can influence the mind. The mind influences the body. And those two things working in tandem can be all-powerful. And if you can understand the, the body, Body side of it and, and how much control you actually have. But then now with the bio and neurofeedback, the, the way we can calm and put our mind at peace when we're about to perform, um, this becomes incredibly powerful when we talk about, you know, maximizing human performance. But think about just our health and wellness as well. The implications here are tremendous. Um, absolutely. Um, absolutely. We're, you know, we're able to give ourselves choices in situations, uh, in areas where we didn't think we had any choices. Uh, and we're able to um, put our efforts to control towards things that are controllable, right? You know, such as our responses to our thoughts and feelings, our responses to difficult situations, as opposed to trying to control the thoughts and feelings themselves, which, um, as it turns out, we really do not have control over and we we'll waste our energy uh, in, trying, uh, to, in trying to control them. All right, so um, you know the the ability to choose the response is just so incredibly powerful, and with mindfulness, we're able to uh, to give ourselves the ability to make a choice. And very often, biofeedback is part of that healthy choice for how to create the kind of uh, changes that we're looking uh, that we're looking to make. Yeah, we're talking with Dr. Ina Kazan. She is a faculty member at uh, Harvard Medical School, also the founder of the Boston Center for Health Psychology and Biofeedback. Um, you are also the president of the board of directors for the Institute uh, for Meditation and Psychotherapy. Well, you know, meditation uh, has come up uh, quite often in our conversations about brain performance and human performance. And I think there's very, very strong ties when it comes to maybe mindfulness, the bio-neurofeedback, uh, meditation. But meditation can take many, many forms for, for many different people, doesn't it, Dr. Kazan? Uh, it really does, and that's a really good point. You know, oftentimes people think about meditation, they uh, might uh, immediately feel kind of overwhelmed to put off, and then, you know, I need to spend, you know, an hour or, you know, maybe more uh, in, you know, in doing this thing that seems, you know, really difficult. I have to control my mind. I have to, you know, keep my mind still or empty my mind of thoughts. Um, and in reality, that is not at all a requirement. You know, meditation can be as simple as uh, drinking your cup of coffee mindfully in the morning, uh, and it may be something that you start with doing 
doing, you know, five minutes off, you know, for something that you already do uh, every day anyways. You don't even need to set aside um, extra time. And then you know, it, uh, ideally you build a little bit from there and you, you increase the time um, that you spend um, in uh, practicing meditation and maybe you move on from a cup of coffee to, you know, observing your thoughts and feelings and physiological sensations and uh, you know, actually setting aside um, some time for formal meditation. But there are so many ways to do this uh, and there is absolutely a way to incorporate meditation into pretty much any kind of lifestyle, no matter how, uh, how busy uh, it might be. Well, let me throw this at you. I'm actually quite intrigued by this because, you know, I hear people going, ah, you know, I don't really go for that meditation stuff. And I think what they, they might image in their minds, the image they might have in your mind is, is you know, somebody um, uh, with their legs crossed, their fingers touching in the circles, you know, sitting on a nice mat and breathing deeply, which is okay. And that's fine. And it works for a lot of people. But but for me personally, let, let me just maybe use my own personal experiences. Um, I get really antsy and maybe I haven't learned <laughs> to quiet my mind when things are still and quiet would it make sense to you dr kazan that that i i get i feel at peace my mind quiets and i feel at peace i'm an avid mountain biker when i'm out on a single track trail with nature and i'm out there just pounding away man that's where i really feel that i get for me personally maybe maybe that would be my definition of of meditation because boy boy i i really get a a a peaceful sense but also um my, my i how can I say it? I feel more activated, alive, more aware in, in that in those instances. Mm -hmm. Does that even make sense? I wonder. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. It sounds like you're describing the state of flow, right? When things are, you know, going in just right, and your mind and your body are working in sync, and you know, you are exactly uh, in a kind of place where you need to be. Uh, and yes, you know, um, that mindfulness plays a really big role in that. And you know, why not have a mountain biking meditation? <laughs> that sounds great. Um, nature meditation uh, is absolutely something that uh, you know a lot of people uh, practice, just being aware of the external. Um, sensations of being uh, in nature, you know, observing um, the, you know, the trees and the grass and the sky and the flowers, you know, hearing the sounds of the birds or the wind, you know, smelling the fragrances around you, uh, et cetera. It, you know, that's a, a really beautiful, uh, mindful um, experience. So, you know, meditating in nature is great. Uh, or, you know, when you're on your mountain bike, you can also just be mindful of your, uh, of the movement of your body, right? You know, uh, the sensation of your um, hands uh, on the handle you know, of the bike, right, or your um, legs uh, pedaling, um, the movement of the legs pedaling, right, or, you know, maybe the, the sensations of your bumps as you, you know, go from um, rough surfaces to, um, you know, smooth surfaces, etc. So just, you know, the physiological sensations in, in your body or the sensations of your breath um, as you are uh, on your bike, you know, all of that is mindfulness, uh, and uh, it can, you can absolutely do a movement meditation. Um, there, um, it's uh, uh, something that a lot of people practice. It is very helpful. You know, it benefits your brain. It benefits your body. Uh, it benefits your performance overall, and it adds uh, um, a lot more pleasure um, to your life. So there, you know, certainly a lot to be said for that. When we do things we enjoy mindfully, we enjoy them a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah, and I like it. I I love this whole concept of mindfulness. And I think one thing that people might not understand is how trainable it really is. You mentioned it. Um, drinking your cup of coffee uh, mindfully, that that's a pretty incredible statement. I mean, if we just go back and just think about that, I mean, most of us go, uh, wake up in our zombie state and have our cup of coffee without even thinking about it. But 
what if we were to actually stop and think about the process of making it, um, sitting down in front of the news in the morning or whatever your routine is, and then actually really tasting the coffee? I mean, that would be maybe an example of mindfulness. It's very trainable, isn't it? It is incredibly trainable. It's much. Uh, it's uh, it's actually quite easy. You know, this is something that you are enjoying already, so you're really just giving yourself an opportunity to enjoy it that much more. And I cannot tell you the number of times that my, you know the people I work with have told me, you know, I never realize just how much I enjoy my coffee or how my how much I discover about this cup of coffee. You know, I've had the same cup of coffee every single morning for years <laughs> and years and years, and there are all these things that I'm discovering about it that I never realized. Right. Uh, it's pretty. Incredible. Yeah, it is. We're talking with Dr. Ina Kazan. She is a faculty member at uh, Harvard Medical School, also a internationally renowned pioneer in mindfulness-based biofeedback. Well, let's talk about bio and neurofeedback and the role here. I, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I was this excited about the potential of human performance because, you know, we've done some pretty incredible things up until now. If we go back into the science analogs and 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 um, libraries, there's been a lot of incredible breakthroughs in human physiology and even in, in, in terms of neurophysiology as well. Um, but I don't think we've ever seen anything like we're seeing now. And, and technology is playing a major role here, Dr. Kazan, in our ability, as we mentioned earlier, to um, help our athletes uh, understand and, and get a better idea of what's going on inside of their minds real time. And, you know, one of my personal experiences I mentioned to Dr. Pepper on our last episode uh, was with our athletes and in particular, my daughter, um, when we were using one of the brain training neurofeedback devices uh, where she's sitting in front of the screen and she's all hooked up and she's moving the roller coaster with her mind. And when she's on task and quiet, I say that in quotation marks, when everything's quiet, um, man, that roller coaster gets moving really quick. But as soon as there's a distraction or or her 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 thoughts might be focusing somewhere else, as soon as her brain starts maybe um, dedicating energy to other areas, maybe that's the best way to to frame that based on our conversation today. The roller coaster would slow down and maybe even stop until she got focused again. Boy, I'm just fascinated by this and I'm really intrigued by the potential moving forward and what this means for human performance. Uh, it is incredible. The, the technology that's available now is really quite mind-boggling, right? And you can you can use your brain to move a roller coaster, right? How amazing does that sound, that's crazy. right? And you know, yeah, you know, you can use your um, heart rate uh, and your breath, you know, to um, you know to make grass grow or to you know move leaves around and all sorts of things, or you know, let, allow yourself to watch a movie on the screen. Uh, there's all sorts of you know really fun ways uh, um, to do this, you know, both to uh, uh, in training your body and training your brain uh, and also just, you know, having a good experience and making this fun, you know, not something that's going to torture us or something that you're not looking forward to doing. Um, but, you know, it's fun, it's enjoyable, and it's really, uh, it's really good for you. You, uh, you, uh, enable your body to re- and your brain to regulate themselves, um, to, to the extent that they're able to activate to just uh, right point to just the right point when you need that activation and be able to recover fully after it's over so that um, your mind and your body uh, are again you know ready to go whenever the next challenge comes your way dr. Kazan when we have an athlete who's struggling I think one of the biggest issues that we see um, is their helplessness 
not knowing what mm-hmm. to do. And then, of course, they, and then they have to rely on the people around them to, to help them through because nobody does it alone. And that's part of the process today for mm-hmm. sure. But, but I've seen firsthand, and I think we've all experienced it personally, if everybody could think back to a time when, you know, they actually got some advice or they were told to do something and they did it, how empowering that is to take, to take control. And, and, you know, for our athletes, let's just use an example of, you know, getting them stronger. Like, okay, hey, man, okay, look, uh, I'm not playing well, so I'll go and, you know, this, spend this offseason, do some constructive work to help improve my play. Or it could be even something more short-term, like a flexibility drill. But, but either way, whatever it might be, we're giving them um, some work to do. They're working with purpose now. They have control, and that's empowering. Um, and when we talk about, you know, brain performance, this whole area has just been so maybe – um, not understood. And, and I know we have a long ways to go yet. We really truly do. But, but where we're at now, um, you know, with the mindfulness, uh, two things I've seen is I've seen how it's really ch- empowered our athletes to change their attitude, but take control of their fates, uh, especially in an area that they don't really understand. I'm not sure if we all do, but, but it's really powerful, mm-hmm. but also allowing them to um, focus and work with purpose and how that's changed, you know, their ability to perform. It's, it's an incredibly powerful. What, uh, what a good point, right? We're transforming what used to produce helplessness uh, into a sense of purpose and mastery, right? And we're giving uh, with biofeedback skills, with mindfulness skills, we are um, giving athletes uh, a way to have control over um, what they used to assume is outside of their control, like the things that used to produce uh, feelings of helplessness uh, are now something that they have mastery over. You know, when they uh, find themselves feeling anxious, you know, rather than going, oh my God, I'm stuck, I'm frozen, I don't know what to do, uh, they now have skills that they can implement in that moment and to help them uh, use that anxiety uh you know, for, to actually improve, to to get better, or to disengage from it, if that is what's helpful to do. But the idea is, um, they have mastery uh, over those really difficult experiences that used to produce helplessness and despair. Yeah, and that's sort of what's sort of dr- driving this whole brain game series that we're on. And again, this will be our third episode. There might be ten. We're we're talking to so many amazing people, and we're every every conversation we have, we dig down a little deeper, we get a better understanding. This one has been absolutely incredible and i think you know what you've just mentioned there you know purpose and mastery um um, is is sort of what's driven us to reconsider the brain not as one of those things that we attack after you know the foundations are sleep rest recovery nutrition hydration posture range of motion and movement have been taken care of but something that we can now address um before the fact it's sort of like a preemptive strike on, on human potential and human performance, so to speak, if that makes sense, because, you know, up until now, um, sports psychology, mental psychology, the mental game has been kind of convoluted and unclear. And I think what's happening now is the waters are starting to clear and we're, we're not only better understanding how the brain works, we're able to see it now with all the imaging tools that we're using, but we're also with these new technologies really understanding what areas to target and, and what, uh, I guess, strategies we can use to help the athletes overcome their particular issues. And, and, and that's something that we can do before we even start a, start thinking or addressing the performance uh, in sport. And, and I think that's why this conversation today is a real game changer for us. 
Um, I, uh, I absolutely agree. I think you know, all of this you know, works uh, in synergy, right? You know, when you train your brain and you're also paying attention to sleep and nutrition and posture and movement, right, uh, you really are addressing you know, everything. You know, it's, a, it's a whole person. It's a, um, it's a full context of uh, what they need uh, in order to, uh, to do their best. And I cannot imagine a uh, you know, better way to do it. Dr. Kozan, your recent book, uh, Biofeedback and Mindfulness in Everyday Life, Practical Solutions for Improving Your Health and Performance, um, that's going to be going on our crush must-read list. I've ordered it. I haven't read it yet. I was hoping to read it before we talk, we spoke, but but I will read it, and that will give me a great excuse to follow up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, but for our listeners, you know, maybe to give them a little idea of – of mindfulness and how they can start applying it, you know, starting with their cup of coffee uh, for our athletes and our young athletes who maybe don't drink coffee yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> what would be, what would be some of the strategies you would, you'd maybe get your, your clients and, or, or our listeners um, going along the path of mindfulness? Um, one of the simplest things that I um, often suggest for people to um, start with is just to do a, you know, a five senses practice where you start off with, um, you know, your, your your vision. What do you see? So just pause wherever you are, whatever you're doing. It doesn't matter, you know, where you are. Pause for a few moments uh, and even look around. What do you see? You know, what colors do you see? What shapes do you see? Um, you know, without necessarily naming or judging or evaluating, just, you know, seeing what is your experience right now? You know, what are you looking at well, what are you seeing again shapes and, and colors and reflections and lights um, and then move on to you know say the um, the sense of hearing you know just maybe close your eyes and listen you know what do you hear what sounds are coming into your ears uh, without naming or uh, judging or liking or disliking those sounds just you know what is what do you hear uh, and taking a few moments to just listen and then uh, moving on to um, the sense of touch, you know, uh, what can you feel right now with your hands, um, you know, uh, from just, you know, putting your hands on your lap to, you know, touching, you know, an object uh, near you or just, you know, feeling uh, one hand in another or rubbing one finger against the other, um, you know, what, uh, very, very simple. You don't need any props for this, but just, you know, what, what are you feeling? What are you noticing? You know, what are the textures? What are the temperatures that you're noticing uh, as you uh, as you touch? Um, and then perhaps, uh, you know, moving on to the sense of smell, you know, uh, what do you notice right now? You know, what are the fragrances, uh, you know, uh, whether you have, you know, a cup of coffee in front of you or a piece of chocolate or, you know, seemingly nothing at all. You might be surprised uh, that you notice uh, smells and fragrances that you didn't even realize were there. Uh, again, allowing them just to be, you know, how they are. Um, and then finally, the sense of taste. Um, you know, maybe you have something to actually taste like, you know, I piece of chocolate or a raisin um, or, you know, a sip of coffee, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter as long as it's not so in some way harmful to you. Um, notice the sensation um, of, uh, of uh, taste, you know, that very first uh, bite, you know, wh what does it feel like, you know, without rushing to the next bite, without rushing to, you know, chew whatever that thing is and swallow quickly, um, just really taking your time, you know, very, very slowly noticing the sensation um, of your jaw moving uh, as you bite and the sensations of touch uh, um, inside your mouth and the sensations of taste. Um, you know, I sometimes have people, you know, take 15 minute, minutes to eat one raisin this way. Um, and it's, uh, you know, sounds maybe a little kooky, but it's you know, quite an interesting experience. And for your first experience, no need to take 15 minutes. Take three, four 
five minutes, you know, um, whatever time uh, you can using every one of your senses. Um, and that's a mindful uh, experience. That's an exercise in mindfulness. It's a, a really great place uh, uh, to start. It's something concrete. You don't need to think about it too hard. You know exactly what to do. We talked with Dr. Pepper last week about biofeedback. And of course, you really tied in mindfulness and biofeedback together. What is the connection there for you? Because a lot of people are still going, what is this biofeedback you speak of? <laughs> uh, biofeedback is all about getting to know um, your uh, what your body's doing in the physiological level uh, and learning how to guide and influence it in helpful ways to improve your health and performance. So uh, with biofeedback, you are training your body to regulate itself better. Uh, and there are different modalities through which you can do it, you know, neurofeedback, uh, heart variability biofeedback, breathing biofeedback, you know, muscle biofeedback, which is you know, a lot of what Dr. Pepper does. Um, you know, for you know, for example, with um, heart rate variability uh, biofeedback, you are quite literally um, training your body's uh, nervous system reflexes uh, to perform better in the moment. So your body learns how to activate to just the right place and then be able to deactivate quickly as needed. Uh, therefore, uh, improving um, your performance in this very foundational level that uh, so that you don't even need to control things in the moment. Your body is just uh, doing uh, the work uh, for you. Um, you know, similar to you know, if you were to uh, go to the gym uh, and you know do strength training, um, then as long as you're keeping up with it, your body is getting stronger and your you know muscle strength is improving. And let's say you've been working out for you know maybe you know two to three months and you know your muscle strength has increased. And then a friend uh, you know asks you to hey you know help me move this couch. Um, you know you are able to you know lift that couch a lot more easily without having to do anything different in that moment, just this, through um, the benefit of that training that you've been doing for the you know last couple of months, uh, you're able to uh, handle things uh, much more easily. It's the same uh, with biofeedback, say with heart variability biofeedback. If you do your biofeedback training, um, which is you know usually has to do with uh, breathing in a certain way for you know about 20 minutes a day, um, you are strengthening your body's ability to handle challenges as they come your way. And after a few weeks, maybe you know two to three months, uh, a challenge comes your way, and you're suddenly finding yourself uh, having a much easier time handling it. You, know, you don't get stuck in unproductive uh, attempts to feel differently. You don't get stuck in um, unproductive thinking patterns. You are just able, much better able to focus on what's important right in front of you and, uh, uh, and do better. Oh, and the implications here for athletes and the ebb and flow of the world of sport, the chaos mm -hmm. of sport. And whether we're talking, mm -hmm. you know, we look at the French Open right now or the Major League Baseball um, playoffs, very, very different type of sports than, say, uh, the NFL football or the NHL uh, or, or mm -hmm. MLS soccer, where it's a constant flow and you're reacting all the time. But to be able mm -hmm. to be in control and in the moment is so powerful. And of course, um, we can't even talk about the importance for the special work that you've done with the U.S. Navy Special Warfare and Army Special Forces, our first responders, our police, where the stakes are much, much higher than just winning or losing potentially. Um, absolutely. I mean, we really are talking about life and death uh, um, situations. And, you know, what you really want is the ability of the mind to focus on what's most relevant right in front of you, the ability of the body to be um, properly activated, right? You know, in those situ life and death situations, we certainly don't want to be relaxed, right? That's not a, good, not a good thing to be. You know, we might be in danger, we might put others in danger, but we also don't want to be overly activated because then we might act in ways, uh, impulsive ways that are um, also uh, dangerous to ourselves. 
ourselves and others. You know, the, the idea is to allow the mind and the body to activate to just the right level so that we can assess the situation and figure out how to respond to it in a helpful way. Uh, and that is exactly what uh, biofeedback um, and mindfulness get us to do, activate to just the right level so that we can uh, provide the most helpful response to the challenge. Dr. Kazan, isn't this fascinating? You know, um, um, again, I know we're, we're going long here, but, but I have to hold, if you're okay holding on for a couple more moments. Absolutely. Yeah. So isn't this interesting? So, so in, I've just had such a, I've been so lucky in my career to work at the developmental levels of sport. And then of course, being a dad, coaching the kids and, you know, just applying some of these very simple principles to the kids to help them and just enjoy sport more. But when we get to the world of professional Olympic sport, where things are, are, are you know, quite focused and quite serious, um, interesting to see as the players progress, um, the new levels of challenges they face as they climb the ladder and work their way up to the higher levels of sport. Um, the landscape does change, though the tasks at hand, hit the ball, see the ball, kick the ball, uh, don't necessarily change. Uh, the level at which they need to execute those tasks certainly does change. And and this is something that that you know, progresses much like any other skill as you get better at mindfulness, biofeedback, body awareness, controlling your body. Um, you can really move, move, uh, uh, move along with your progression in skill acquisition or talent development or technical tactical work as well. And I think that's why this might for me be one of the more exciting times in the history of human performance. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, right? You know, we're, 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 Athletes, you know, every year are pushing themselves to new levels, right? If you, you know, think about, you know, what Olympic athletes are doing now versus, you know, uh 20, 30 years ago, the difference is incredible. Um, and, you know, at this point, you know, the mental uh, uh, space, you know, the, the mental part uh, of performance is so incredibly important because, you know, physiologically, um, these athletes uh, are, you know, so, so close uh, to to one another that, you know, what it takes uh, to, uh, to win, what it takes to do uh, better really rests on that mental space so that you're able to devote, you know, all of your mental and physical uh, energy to uh, to that present moment uh, that you know gets you you know over the line. Yeah, well, listen, I, this discussion today has really added to our quest to better understand whether the brain and you know we put quotation marks around the brain because boy, oh boy, is that a, a, a one of the most complex organisms in our known, known universe <laughs> for certain. So mm. we're not trying to simplify it in any way, shape, or form. But our our new understanding and and our new ability to track, map, and and train the brain like never before is really exciting. Dr. Kazan, do you think we're on the right track in working to justify the brain as one of those first and foremost fundamental pillars of human performance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and I certainly hope we are, you know, that is the right track, you know, because we would be in deep trouble if we're not. Yeah, so we right. I think it is the right track. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just for our elite performers. It's for the moms and dads who are listening. It's for our coaches and uh, certainly the athletes out there and everybody else. Dr. Kazan, listen, thank you so much for your time today. This was a fascinating conversation. Um, really appreciate all the work that you've done in this area. It's been really enlightening. And for everybody, again, uh, Dr. Kazan's book is biofeedback and mindfulness in everyday life. Because boy, oh boy, if you don't have your life together, um, it's really, really hard to perform at whatever job or whatever task you're taking on, uh, whether it's sport or just your everyday job as well. Dr. Kazan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Jeff. It's, uh, it's been a great conversation. All right. There you go, everybody. Dr. Ina Kazan, mindfulness. Wow. Who knew that such a simple, 
strategy could be so powerful when it comes to human performance across the board. And if you were able to maybe give it a try as we were talking about it here today, um, it's one of those things that's trainable, just like everything else. The more you practice it, uh, the more you understand it, uh, the more you use it, the better you're going to get at it. And so that's one of the reasons we're really trying to talk about the brain as one of those top priorities. Because these are the kinds of things that if we start early on, can you imagine understanding, utilizing, and practicing mindfulness when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age? And then as you mature and you get a little better understanding of the world around you, you can start incorporating it, not just in your sporting life, but in every aspect of your life. Holy cow, what a game changer. Again, another huge step forward. I was really, really excited about today's conversation because listen, um, you know, in, in the past, you've heard mindfulness mentioned on this show, Dr. Dallaire, Jim Fannin, boy, back to our days from the late and great Harvey Dorfman. Just the idea of being aware of where you're at, how you're operating, what you're doing, being in the moment, all these things, boy, just so powerful, but we don't do them that well. Well, some of you guys do. Well, the top performers, you know, do this. Some, some of people just do it naturally, uh, but it's something that we can all get better at no matter what we're doing. And again, one of the reasons that we're looking at justifying the brain as one of those top priorities in human performance. And these are the types of things that we feel that if we address this early on, before we even start talking about sport and sport performance, as we set our athletes up, to attack and get into their sports. This has the potential to impact every aspect of their lives. Such a great conversation today. I have to thank Dr. Kazan for all the information today. We'll look forward to staying in touch with Dr. Kazan and all the great things she's doing over there at uh, the Boston Center for Health Psychology and Biofeedback, as well as the Harvard Medical School, which is renowned for all the work they do. So uh, great stuff. As the Crush Brain Game continues. Hey, coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at some of the technology now that's allowing us to tap into and train the brain real time. Stuff we've never been able to do before. We're going to talk to the people who are creating the technology. It's going to be fantastic conversations coming up. And also, if you've been paying attention over the last couple of shows, Dr. Morazic, Dr. Pepper, and even Ina today, you know, talking about nutrition, they've all mentioned in some degree, in some way, shape, or form, the impact of excess sugar on performance. Wow, isn't it unbelievable how the crush war on sugar and the crush brain game are coming together here? And uh, we've got something brewing in the background right now. And I think maybe to wrap up this series, we may do a brain game war on sugar episode. Because when we talk about the brain, it's just like the human body. If we're not feeding it properly, if we're not taking care of it, if we're not resting it properly, it's not going to function properly. I don't care how much you train it. And we know from the world of brain energetics, if you're taking the wrong type of fuel, too much sugars, the wrong type of carbohydrates, even though you might not notice it, we've all had the crashes. We've all been through those crashes before. The sugar crash. Uh, but when we start understanding brain energetics, oh my goodness, now we start priming the brain to really, really take advantage of the training just like we do with the body. Oh, I love it when a plan comes together. So stay tuned. And again, you guys, if you have any questions, comments, smart remarks, uh, questions about today's show, comments about today's show, yes, damn, we had that little echo 
what a shame. What a great, we may go back and try to filter that out. I'm not sure how to do that stuff. We'll get our producers on it. We had an echo there. It's unfortunate, but if you can get through that, Dr. Kazan, great information today. And there is much more to come on the Crush Brain Game. All right. That'll do it for today, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks to Dr. Kazan once again. Now get out there, get better, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. I'm Jerry P. CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>